Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is... Hmm, that doesn't seem right. It, uh, it's Tuesday, March 21st. For some reason, I just looked at my watch, and my watch thinks that it's Wednesday the 15th. Not sure how that happened, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's Tuesday. It's time for the Power Hour. So we will uh, we'll start opening some phone lines right now. If you want to jump in, I see phones are already ringing. 855-950-3835. We'll hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. So go ahead and line them up. Um, I don't see Bruce on the board yet. I'm going to check, see if he's joining us. In the oh, you know what? Um, while I'm waiting to see what's going on with Bruce, I do want to talk about um, the announcement that uh, Swift Knight bought U.S. Express. Uh, if I remember the numbers right, Swift and Knight, number five largest carrier in the U.S. Uh, I think U.S. Express might be somewhere in the teens, maybe nineteen. Um, I don't remember what those, yeah, 19, um, $808 million, um, which is kind of shocking because it's 310% over the stock price. It's a 310% premium. You know, this, a deal like this reminds me of the late 70s, early 80s. We've been talking a lot about that era with stagflation and really, really high interest rates. There was also a lot of mergers going on in trucking. We were coming out of deregulation, so that was a big, big part of it. It was a lot of the LTL carriers back then. Um, When I was growing up, we had a lot more LTL carriers than we do today. They went through massive um, mergers and acquisitions. And I remember because my dad worked for all of those companies, he'd be working for somebody and they'd get bought by somebody else. And it was just constant um, throughout the late 70s, early 80s, to the point where almost all of the big LTL companies had kind of disappeared or merged and... um, I think we may see that happen this time in the big truckload carriers. This may be um, the start of it. This is a big uh, acquisition and at such a premium. You know, I think it's because the the companies that were managed well through the last five years or so uh, are sitting on a lot of cash. This is really what I've been talking about for us personally pay down debt, save cash, and then start looking for the opportunities. Happens in big companies. It can happen with you and I. If you, uh, if you positioned yourself right, I think there are going to be opportunities coming. All right. Um, I guess we don't know what's going on with Bruce yet. I'll bring in the guys from Pittsburgh Power, and maybe they know what's going on. Good morning, guys. Morning, Kevin. How are you today? Good. Where's Bruce? Uh, Well, 
I was told he was going to be on the show, but he also said he was traveling today, so I'm not sure how he's going to be able to do that. Got it. So we'll we'll wait Call and see. Mine. Yeah, maybe he'll send up yeah. smoke signals. <laughs> be a jet uh, engine in the background. We know he's back on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Pete, what's on your mind this week? Okay. So I was going to follow up. We've been talking about the, the Cummins engine. They have the, um, the X13, the X10 that's going to replace the 912 liter. So I just read a report that they have the, they call it the Agnostic X-Series. And it's going to be able to, it's the same engine with different cylinder head and fuel system depending on what it's running. And they have the one that will run on HVO which is hydro-treated vegetable oil, um, biodiesel, which would be made from soybean oil, canola, algae. Seaweed. Seaweed. I don't um, know if that's true. <laughs> seaweed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think well, so. It's algae. <laughs> it's algae, I think, or close enough. Yeah. Um, and then biogas, which is um, methane, carbon dioxide, hydrogen sulfide. So they're offering three different platforms. Now, this is equipment right now, which kind of makes sense because you know, if you've got a, a big project or you're building a road or a you know, housing plan, how are you going to charge an electric piece of equipment it, right. at this point? Right. You know, are they going to come up with trucks that have generators? How big would the generator have to be? <laughs> you have to charge at a time. You have to go behind a windmill. So as you drive, <laughs> it will drive. Cover the place the solar panels first. Yeah, right. And yeah. then as you tow the windmill, it speeds it up. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, that's going to have to be a big generator. <laughs> yeah, you know, it seems like this is the direction Cummins is, is going. So, is, and of course, they, don't, they can't make an electric, well, not that they can't make an electric motor, but they're in the engine business. Yeah, right, right. So I didn't get this much detail in the first couple of articles I read about it. So this isn't some crazy magical engine that can just switch between all of these fuels. That's kind of what had me confused. There is a different configuration. Yeah. So some of the articles I read never said right. that they're going to be different. I read somewhere that everything from the head gasket down is the same. Everything above that is head different. Fuel system is that different. makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But that's still a pretty major swap. I mean, I don't think you're going to... Well, I don't think out. You probably it, it, not, be right. to offer this engine this way and, and you you know your company decides hey we're going to run hydrogen so we're going to yeah. buy that so and they separate them calling the x15h uh, which is hydrogen um x15n which is biogas and the other one's just x15 um so they, they have so, some designations to them so here's an interesting thought um are there any other engine manufacturers working on anything like this? I don't see much of it. It seems like almost everybody so, else jumped right straight to electric for all their research and development. JCB is, is doing that. They're right now, so that's an English company. They, they build equipment. I think they're one of the first ones that came out with a backhoe. Sounds kind of uh, suspicious. JCB is also doing the same thing for equipment <laughs> and coming doing yeah. it. So like someone copied someone's homework. There's, they're going hydrogen on their equipment, and they even have a truck built. So you know you're buying hydrogen equipment, 
you can buy a hydrogen refueling truck. Okay. Which makes sense. I mean, at least so, you're thinking ahead, like, oh, we don't get all this equipment on the job site and realize we can't fill it up. You so know, they're planning we, ahead on this one. We've talked about this a lot, that it's not going to be we're going to wake up one day and there's going to be electric trucks everywhere, that we're going to be in a long transition where we have hybrids, we have pure electric, we have hydrogen electric, we have this route that Cummins is taking with keeping an internal combustion engine, but using alternative fuels. Cummins may have a really good bet here. They, they may be the only one really working hard on this, and that may be a smart move on their part. I agree. So and I've noticed over the years, even prior to the pandemic, prior to the, the, the I mean, emissions have been around, but this latest, late, the latest um, improvement they need to make, they've been buying these companies. Uh, they've been buying battery right. companies. Right. They've been buying uh, hydrogen companies. I mean, I, they're just covering their basis. I mean, they really have their fingers into everything. I think it may be a smart move because I, I don't, like I said, I think we're looking at a couple of decades of a lot of different fuels. That's it. That's how this is shaping up. I think that we're going to have multiple fuels, and it looks like Cummins may be really well placed. Does this say in your articles, Pete, if they all have different after treatment too? Because I would assume the after treatment on the diesel version is different than the the LG one versus the hydrogen. That's an interesting it, thought. It, yeah. The thing about after treatment. Um, and they're going to go forward with this in the 6.7 liter engine and the 9 liter engine as well at some point. Like, let's say you had a truck with a diesel engine in the after treatment and it's giving you a lot of issues as they do. In the future, would you be able to say, well, hey, I'm going to trade in or trade up to a hydrogen version of this and swap the after treatment, which maybe I think would be a lot less. Eliminated. The hydrogen the, is I think so. 100% carbon free. So if you're just yeah, like, hey, I don't want to run a DPF anymore, I'm going to invest the $30,000 to convert this thing. Is that worth it long term? Are you going to be able See, to do that? He, he, here's, that the, interesting. here's the problem we're going to face when you ask the right question. Is it worth it? Does it make sense? Is it cost effective? That's the single most important question we need to ask. The problem is we're not going to have any answers. We don't know what any of these fuels are going to cost us per mile, which is the, the number we need to know. What does it cost in hydrogen per mile? What does it cost in electricity per mile or, you know, seaweed fuel or whatever these fuels happen to be? What's the cost per mile to, to make the vehicle go down the road? And then another huge factor we don't know, what are the maintenance costs? All of these things have different maintenance issues. I, I don't know if it would make sense maybe for the over-the-road truck, but maybe it would make sense for maybe like a farm truck to switch the hydrogen. This is just all hypothetical speak. Like you're saying, Kevin, we don't know how much anything right. costs. Right. But, um, it's just an interesting thing to think about if, if it's you can mix and match. And if you can, does that get you in trouble? Right. Does somebody put a hydrogen on? Do we have a whole new era of 60-series Frankenstein? Well, or, or do you just repower? So your, your X-15 diesel engines wore out, I need to put an engine in. Can you then put the hydrogen engine already there, built, remove the emission stuff, and is that going to be legal? <laughs> if it doesn't if, pollute, how dare you? If, if, I if, it, you know, if it's going to 
less if it I, meets the next tier of emissions. I have an idea. If we're going to have all these different engine platform possibilities, electric, hydrogen electric, multi-fuel engines, why wouldn't manufacturers go back to building gliders and then you just pick which fuel or which engine it's going to have? That's a really interesting concept. Yeah. Or can you essentially sort of buy not necessarily carbon credits, but it, can you get a diesel with a hybrid, but maybe have, you know, a different no. after treatment or hydrogen with a hybrid? Can you mix and match like that? Yeah, I don't That'd know. That'd be interesting yeah. too. Here's another factor. One of the things I've talked a lot about, one of the big advantages of electric is we can make huge improvements in aerodynamics. And that's why these electric trucks look so goofy. We're not used to the way these trucks look because trucks can't look that way if they have an internal combustion engine. So it wouldn't be really efficient unless, well, that just wouldn't be efficient. You, you would have to build this truck to be able to have that giant cooling system up front. And then if you drop an electric system into it, it's not as efficient as it should be. And that has a big impact on range. I mean, range is still important. You know, we, we talk about fuel mileage. No matter what fuel we use, we have to look at mileage because that becomes range. Right. Yeah. So I think Cummins, you know, the fact that this is equipment first, and I think equipment would be a little easier in the fact that they're not 500 miles from their base. I mean, right. they're, they're at the job site. Um, it, same with the electric vehicles. I think they should have went with the garbage trucks and uh, pool buses because the range is irrelevant yeah. or somewhat irrelevant. Somewhat, right. And you can, home yeah, you can customize the range and your charging solution, and, and it gets back to that location every night. And some of the pretty impressive horsepower with the HVO and biodiesel, um, they'll do up to 650 horsepower. Is that the one with the 3,200 newton meters of torque? Three, they have three thousand. Yeah, close enough. Not three, okay, that's all. That's all. When it was thirty-two hundred newton meters, which would be, as far as I know, the highest that you could get from an engine. I think ever. Yeah. I mean, uh, not in a marine app. You can get it in a marine, but so twenty-seven seventy-nine is twenty-fifty torque. Thirty-two hundred's got to be like twenty-two hundred foot-pounds of torque. That's what I was wondering. Which is pretty What's the conversion? That is impressive. Yeah. You know, the tough stuff's going to be for the, so, you know, once this goes, and I think you're on the right path where it's just going to be kind of a, somewhat of a free for all with multiple engine configurations, truck configurations, you know, as far as shops and training, you know, so there's going to be, have to be, so, you know, X15 comes out, I send my guy, he trains on the X15. Now he's going to train on the three different fuel systems. Yeah. On top of the diesel. Right. And we have to get to see first. We have a huge training issue already. I mean, come on. We know we're not training people well at all. And to complicate it, I, we're, we're in for an interesting decade or so with trucks. You know, you, you look at fleet level, um, you make the wrong decision on equipment here. It could put you out of business. Oh, for sure. And I mean, we can't fix the trucks that we have now. Right. You know what I mean? There's a whole generation of technicians that don't know anything about these. Yeah, and if you, I, I mean, the last 10, 15 years, they've been roughly the same. 
if we switch it up to even just to go to a hybrid, I think you have a 2010 era of just nightmares where it's a new technology. I think Remember so. when all that stuff yeah, yeah, that was a bad year. I think a couple we, years, anyhow. Yeah. I think that whole thing starts again. I think you're right. You, know, you mentioned a training not being good. So over, over the years, I've, I've done you know, different Cummins classes and CAT classes, and they're never long enough. And the instructor, instructor will even say, okay, hey, we got you know, six days worth of work, and we have three days to do it in. And I'm, I'm not sure who limits the three days. Is it the shop owners telling Cummins, hey, I don't want my guy gone for weeks, which you almost need that nowadays. You know what this reminds me of? Um, you know, I've always worked for myself and I've always believed in knowledge and education and training. So I'll go do all kinds of seminars, um, you know, just on all kinds of different topics. And I noticed early on what happened most of the time, you know, these are, I'm talking small stuff now, like 30 or 40 people for two or three days kind of stuff. Um, I would almost always be the only self-employed person in the room. Almost everybody else was an employee and they got sent there for this training. And what started to make me crazy, I'm paying money to be here out of my own pocket. I'm taking money away from my own business to be here. And you walk in the first morning and the instructor starts off with, you know, we've got a lot of material to get through, but if we do this and this, we could be out of here by four o'clock today. And everybody gets all excited. And I'm like, wait a minute. What do you mean get out of here by four o'clock? We're supposed to be here till five. You're not shorting me an hour. I paid for this. And talk about being unpopular in the room when you bring that up. But that's kind of the attitude around a lot of this training. It's like a vacation. Oh, I don't have to go to work. I have two days of training. And then we all go play golf at three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And I, I feel like the other problem with a lot of the training is there's so much prerequisite knowledge that you have to have and experience. If you, if we were to hire somebody out of just a diesel tech school and then immediately send them into the, the training for after treatment, oh, yeah. I think they would come back and struggle. Good point. They would know all the right words, and how the words go together, but they don't know actually how to fix anything. Correct. That. That's kind of I think that's what the other problem. happens with me with the electrical issues. I can blunder my way through them and, and usually fix stuff eventually, but I don't really know what I'm doing all that well. You know, I don't understand enough of the base concepts. I'm doing better. I'm going back and studying it, but it's the same thing. You, you can't, these vehicles are so complicated. Like you said, when they come out of their initial training, they're already overwhelmed. I mean, they need to go work on these things and, and get a feel for what really happens in the real world. And then we're going to pile all these new technologies on them. It's going to be an interesting time. I, I think owner operators are going to have a huge advantage during this decade um, because they can control that equipment so much better than fleets. Owner operators can hold on to their equipment longer. They can rebuild stuff. They can, they have a lot more options and they won't have to take the risk on these new technologies. Yeah, somebody's going to have to take the risk. <laughs> yeah, and it'll be the fleets. The fleets will, and you know what? That's how it should be. These giant fleets can afford to take a hundred trucks and try something new. And that's what it's going to take to learn this stuff. Right. 
Right. Uh, speaking of which, that, that um, you know, the owner-operator issue, um, one of the articles I read this morning, um, there's a new group. Um, let me see if I can find that article again. I wasn't going to really talk about this today, but since we were talking about the owner-operator model going forward, what is the, what's this group calling themselves? Um, TIE. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a trade association. Truckers in integral to our account uh, oof, to our economy. Man, that's hard to say. Why? Truckers integral to mean? our economy. T I E. Um, I don't know. They're showing five people here. I don't really know who these people are, what their interest in is. But the whole push for this group to exist really is to. Um, protect the independent contractor model in trucking. Um, I'm actually, I've got my team reaching out to find out more about this group, maybe get them on the air. Um, we may be talking about that more because uh, there's a lot going on in, in that as well with, with California and the AB5 type laws. So um, it's going to be an interesting decade for trucking between equipment and these issues. All right. Anybody have anything else, or should we get to some phone calls? Yeah, I'm ready for some phone calls. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Oh, Bruce will not be joining us. He uh, he's flying right now. So we will get started in Illinois. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, one quick comment before I get to my uh, real question. You mentioned, or uh, Pete mentioned the uh, company JCB, and you said something about backhoes. Now, I'm going to date myself by telling you this brief little story is that the first pieces of equipment that were branded JCB that I started sealing on, seeing on dealer lots were backhoes. I'm going to date myself by telling you what we nicknamed them. So JCB backhoes became Jimmy Carter backhoes. That's what we nicknamed them. So, so that's how long that's how long they've been around. So, and yes, I do remember that. And I that's what we we nicknamed them was Jimmy Carter backhoes. So interesting. Anyway, so that yeah. goes back a long way. So yeah, anyway, the point of my question is, I'm getting conflicting information from you and Pittsburgh Power. And here's my question: Is is I've heard you talk several times about testing the intake, et cetera, on a truck. And you, made the, you, Kevin, have made the statement several times that you can go to Amazon and buy a three or $400 smoke machine no, and test your truck. No, I yeah, didn't. Last, oh, well, okay. No, I did. I don't well, believe I said I several have, times you could get one I, pretty cheap. I don't. Well, I remember because I. The last conversation, well, I think I said the exact yeah. opposite of that. I think I remember telling somebody you can't really get one of these for less than a thousand. That's effective. Well, that's what Pete said like a week or two ago, but I know in the past you have said that you can get one pretty cheap on Amazon. So I was just curious which way it was. Uh, so if I was, said that, was, I was mistaken. You build one cheaply, not a smoke machine, but um, I think what you're talking about, Kevin, was how you built your own boost tester. I, yeah, I've talked about that many, machine. many times, right? I, I built a, yeah, I pulled into a Home Depot one day and walked in with no tools, nothing, and bought everything I needed to build the pressure tester and walked out in the parking lot and built it and did the test. But the 
And I have talked about, we had a conversation, somebody actually called me and said you could build a smoke machine. And maybe that's where that price came from. Maybe somebody said you could build one for that price, but I have never, that I remember, maybe I'm having amnesia, I don't know. I think I've always said the opposite, that it's not a cheap machine. And that's why most truck shops don't have one because most truck shops don't realize there's a use for a smoke machine in a diesel shop. Most auto shops have them for vacuum testing, um, but a, a lot of truck shops wouldn't spend the 1500 bucks to get a good one because they don't know how to use one. So that one you had at Fitzgerald's in was a pretty pretty expensive one then? Or a, if I, I re- thought it was a cheap one you no, bought for something else. If I remember right, we paid about 1300 for ours, and we did buy it. We thought, okay. we, we thought we could test the air brake system with it to find air brake leaks. Right. And it failed miserably at that. It just won't work. So we were stuck with this $1,300 machine thinking, you know, we can't send it back. Selling it's probably not going to be easy. What are we going to do with this thing? And we were sitting around one day talking about it when a mechanic walked up with a boost leak. And we, the light bulb went off and Robert and I sat there and said, well, maybe we could test the intake system with this. So that's how it got started. But I, if I remember right, we paid twelve or 1300 for that one. Yeah, that's what's the problem with the smaller one, then. Is it the, is it the is it, volume of smoke that yes. the smaller ones put out? Yep, there's got to be enough okay. volume to push it through the system. Okay, all right. Well, that answer that. I just was, I just distinctly remember talking about somebody with a smoke machine being pretty cheap on Amazon, and then last week Pete said you had to spend at least $1,000, so I was just wanted to clarify just which it was, so... Yeah, if somebody knows yeah, of a cheaper machine it. that'll work, you, you know, let us know, but I haven't found any. Hey, from all right. Uh, people hey, who don't have a shop, I, they really don't need this machine. I just Test had, it yourself, just make the, the kit. Yeah, I just had an idea. You know, remember when... Oh, boy. Yeah, remember when vaping was really, really big before people started dying from it? We had that round of... People were dying from the vape issue. And since then, we haven't heard a lot about vaping. <clears throat> Still going on, but I, I can remember they were actually holding contests to see who could create the biggest cloud of vape. We just need to hire a bunch of out of work 20 year olds to sit around and blow smoke through our engines. Well, the trouble is they'd probably want to blow smoke somewhere else beside your engine, though, Kevin. <laughs> well, that's my job. Anyways. Oh, all right. All right. Well, I maybe did. I don't know. So, well, Pete, that answer, yeah, that was, that answered the question. I just was curious why a smaller one, small, cheap Amazon one wouldn't work, but it's because of the volume of the smoke that you need for a diesel engine. Yes. All right. That answered the question. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Pennsylvania. Phone lines are open if you want to jump in. 855-950-3835. Darren, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, got a question for Pittsburgh Power then about oil pressure. But first off, I just want to give credit where credit's due, I guess. 
So about two years ago, I think it was a little over two years ago, I called you for the first time asking about a whale tail for the top of my truck. And if I remember right, you said not no, but hell no. Correct. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and I so I'll just go over. I have a 2013 Freightliner Coronado with a 12.7 liter Detroit, and I pull drop deck trailers and haul pallets, uh, mostly from Pennsylvania out to New Jersey. So I'm doing the same thing all the time pretty much. And if I remember right, my numbers were about, I think my average was about six and a half at the time. And that was, that was on the good days. I don't know. My average is probably below that. I had just started using your, your app. But anyway, I am currently for the last three quarters, for the last two quarters of last year. And then the beginning of this year so far, I've been over eight miles to the gallon all my miles. Nice. So I did a lot of stuff in there, but that's just everything I've done. I've learned from you. Excellent. So uh, I just wanted to say thanks for all that. And I, all my buddies that are doing the same thing I'm doing are getting about 6.2 to 6.3 if they're doing good. So I'm almost <laughs> two miles per gallon ahead of them. In, in, in today's <laughs> so I'm world, I'm pretty happy about that. You know, I wonder if they realize in today's world you're getting paid about $20,000 more than they are. Yeah, yeah. It comes out to about 15 a year for me, but I only okay. put about 80,000 miles yeah, a year there you on. Go. So I'm nice. home every night yeah. doing, doing this, doing this stuff. So it's, uh, it don't save me as I mean it saves me as yeah. much, but it takes me a little longer. <laughs> Fifteen thousand is nice. But yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yep. So anyway, um, for the so the question for Pittsburgh Power I have then is um, oil pressure. What is the what's a good oil pressure for running down the highway when this thing's hot? Like how low is too low? And because uh, I, I I have it set up where I, I have two sixty fours, so I run direct at fifty seven mile an hour is my speed, and I'm at about twelve seventy five on the RPMs. And when I'm pulling a hill, I, I, it'll drop down about 40, 40 pounds of psi on the oil. And I guess I'm just I don't know is that for some reason that feels a little on the low side for me. I guess I just need some reassurance maybe um, that that's fine, or or I guess yeah, I just want to know what the range should be. What engine do you have? It's a 12.7 liter 60 series Detroit. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's not a problem. Okay. Okay. And I do have, so I, okay. So I have a tune on this thing. Actually, Leroy might remember I was out there in November of last year and I'm pushing on your dyno. I was pushing 630. Where am I at here? Over 600 horsepower. 618 horsepower and 2,034 foot-pounds of torque. And I guess my question is at 12, 1250 running, like, is that is that putting extra wear on my bearings if I'm running low RPMs pulling hills like that? Because obviously I got enough power. I can, with, you know, 65, 70,000 pounds, I can walk pretty decent hills at, you know, 1,250 RPMs. I guess what's, is that, putting extra strain on my bearings that I should be careful with or no? Well, to me, I think that's a bit of a loaded question is increasing the torque by four to 500 foot pounds of torque, increasing strain on your bearings. Yes. Um, is it going to be hurtful long-term? Um, probably, but not, I I don't, I can't give you a number. Are you going to go from a million mile engine to a 500,000 mile engine? It's, it's hard to say how much life that will take off of it, but okay. I, I don't know if I like 1250. I mean, you're, 
it, I guess it depends on how much load. I mean, are you going to full load at twelve fifty? Well, not not very often. There's times I do. Like I'm saying, if I if I'm if I can see I'm getting close to the top of the hill, I'll, I'll let it ride out there. But if I have a long pull, I will shift down. I'll, I'll take it to the gear under direct and and drop my yeah. I can run a little bit lower boost then or whatever, and and it just pull the hill a little slower. So I don't. I don't know. I'm not terribly hard on it. I don't think, but I do run it. I do run it sometimes if I'm getting close to the top of the hill. So how much boost are you making on those conditions? Cause that indicates the load. So if you're making so 35 I, pounds of boost or 40 pounds of boost, you're using everything you got. Um, and it, uh, it, it, that, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Well, at 1250 on the dyno, like uh, I pushing all in on the dyno, I was at 29.9, basically 30 pounds of boost. So I'm not, so at 1250, I, 30 is all I can do on a hill. So that's putting out about 500, 500 horsepower at that point. It's what it showed on the dyno. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I don't think that it's extremely harmful. I don't okay. necessarily like that, but um, I guess the only way you would really know for sure if it Actually, how long have you been doing that for? I guess only since last year. I think the only way you would really know for well, sure is to actually inspect your bearings and inspect oil analysis. Yeah, and things like that. I mean, yeah, oil analysis am, is probably the best thing you can do. Okay, I am doing oil analysis. And one time, uh, about four oil samples ago, so it would be, I do about every 25,000. About 100,000 miles ago, I'd have to look back. I don't have it right in front of me at this point. One time, up and out of the blue, I had flagged um, lead at 50. And then the very next time it was down to nothing again. And I've never shown any lead since that other than one or two. And there's no copper ever that comes through. So I'm not sure where the lead came from on that one time. But other than that, it's showing very clean. Um, my soot levels are low. My silicon is low. I, I mean, oil samples are coming back very, very clean. But that, that 50 did scare me. And so that's why I wasn't sure. But that was a couple times ago, and it's been good ever since. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I would just keep I don't a close know eye on that. Because that's going to indicate your wear rate. If you start to see things suddenly go the wrong way from multiple samples, then you've known, or you can slowly see an increase in all your wear metals over time. Okay. Uh, Okay. Do you have samples beforehand? Because you could compare the, you know, the curve and see if you're, uh, how long it's going to, I guess, sort of last based on the angle of it. Yeah. Yeah. And they were very low before that time too. They were all low before that, and then that one went and spiked, and then then now they're low again. So I'm not sure what caused that that one time, but yeah, it's hard the fact to that it was just one oil analysis and, and nothing else went along with it. My thought it was just a bad sample. Somehow something that got could, contaminated. Yeah, yeah. Well, that as far as I know, like that, like everything else was looking good. They just flagged that one red for some reason that time, and now it's been really it's been good ever since. So. Um, yeah, well, I'll just keep watching my pressure. I'll just keep an eye on my pressure. And I guess if it starts dropping more and more, am I correct that if the bearings do start wearing out, the oil pressure will drop or is that just a myth that I've heard? But it, it can, it would have to wear out really bad and, and you would see, oh, okay. you know, with the oil analysis, you'd start to see, um, lead, copper, tin, um, it, you'd see it there. Those numbers would go up first with the exception of a major failure with a bearing before the. Uh, oil pressure would drop. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I'll just keep watching it. That answers my questions, I think. 
There you go. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, We've got some lines open. If you want to jump in, 855-950-3835. It's a maintenance free-for-all today. If you've got a question about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. Jump in and join us. We're going to head off to Colorado. Dwight, welcome to the program. Uh, hello. Um, all right. I've got a problem. I need an education on uh, the return on my fuel. I fuel my truck. I drove 200 miles. And when I got to my destination, my driver's side tank was overflowing. I mean, it was hey, just Dwight? coming out everywhere. Dwight, yes. congratulations. Yes. You you finally did it. Okay. We, we've you've you've implemented so many fuel saving technologies you are now making fuel. I, I know it. I know it. That's what I kind of told Angie. I'm exactly. making fuel. Yes. <laughs> now, now I'm making it. Now I want to know how to keep it in my truck cuz I I think really and truly I've I've lost about 100 gallons through this ordeal. And $1,200, and I'm not even there. So, so I fueled up. I get down there, and it's just pouring out. Well, I grab my trailer. I'm dropping hook. I grab my trailer. I come back, and I talk to my mechanic. So I, I drove another two hours, pouring fuel everywhere. So we trained. He says, oh, well, it's the, the T that goes to your return lines. That it's is screwed up. So we change that out. We pump the fuel over. I take off thinking I'm in good shape. Well, now I get about 300 miles down the road. I run out of diesel because it pushed everything out of one tank and again overflowed, but it sucked that other passenger side tank dry. So now get a service truck. We pump the fuel over, crank the truck up, go to the shop. They look at it. They didn't really do anything, but they said, hey, you do have cutoff valves for this driver's side tank. Turn it off. You can go do your delivery. That's what I did. I turned that. Well, no, we only turned the return valve. Let me rephrase that. So we turned the return valve thinking that's why it's overfilling. So I get to Denver. What do I find? My other tank filled up, and it's overflowing. So I turn my suction valve on and set, and it leveled out. So go back to my shop. They they said, well, your suction lines are screwed up. So they replaced them. So we've now replaced the two suction line. No, let me pray. I see there I'm messing up. I'm so I got to slow down. The return lines have been replaced. And the T that they go to has been replaced. And I just came up to Denver and I, what do I do? I wake up and my other tank is overflowing. So... All that said, I'm thinking that 
I maybe have one suction line screwed up that's going to my driver's side. But it, and I have a Davco. Is that crazy enough, or uh, have I confused everybody enough? But does anybody have any ideas? So, I mean, it, it could be a couple things. So we, we have uh, three things that can be going on. Uh, one, it's drawing from one tank more than the other because there's an issue with the suction side. It's returning to one tank more than the other because there's a problem with the return side or your tank vents could have some issues with them. So generally, it's the three things that cause this problem. Well, I can overflow either tank. So but if I leave it alone, it, it will overflow the driver's side. So since we have replaced the return line, so we now we know they're pretty much good to that point. And the T has been replaced, excuse me, twice. We replaced it twice, thinking by some chance we got a bad one, as if, you know, but uh, but the only thing that hasn't been done that's causing problems that I can remember or think, it is the suction line. It comes out of my driver's side, and it goes up to the DAVCO, that line has not been replaced, and they haven't blowed it out. I've asked twice for it to be blowed out, and I guess I'm going to have to blow it out myself. Unless there's something stuck in there. Um, you know, well, piece yeah. of rag or something like that. I mean, when, once they start to collapse, they collapse. Now, on your return lines, uh, what's critical is they're both. So it, it's going to return from the T to both tanks. They need to be the same length and relatively even. You don't want to dip in one and a curve in another. You kind of keep them straight um, and even as possible because it's always going to return to whatever's easiest. So if one line's four foot long and the other one's eight, you're going to get more return out of the four foot line. And same with the right. suction well, side. You go from each tank to well, the T, it can be the same length as well. And then from the T to the um, filter. Right. Well, and I think they are. I've owned this truck for three years. Never had a problem. So, have you never had a vent? problem? The vents are clear. Uh, the only thing we've done, we cleared the vents, made sure they were good, and we changed the T. I'm going to re replace the return lines. So, that is the, uh, that's been done. And I still have the problem. And what year truck is this? It's a 2003 and okay, got an ISX. Replaced the suction lines before? Uh, inside the tank? Or oh, no. The suction the coming out? No, 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 we haven't. No. Okay. So they're no. due to be changed anyhow, even if it doesn't correct the problem with the age that's on them. I would highly recommend changing the suction line from the tanks to the T, from the T to your filter, from the filter to the pump, just replace them all. Yeah, yeah. And that's the next thing. Um, uh, mechanic was short of time. I was short of time because I try to get this done in a, because I got a dedicated run. I'm trying not to miss anything there. So 
and these next lines, you know, they're, they're 15, I think he told me 16 feet of line. So, uh, that's our next project this week, but there's nothing more complicated to this system. Is it? I mean, you know, so the, you know, you fuel. So the, the Cummins returns a fair amount of fuel and it's simply going to return to the easiest spot or pull from the easiest spot. So there's nothing going on with the engine side that's causing this or affecting it. It's strictly either the return lines or the suction lines. Okay. All righty. Well, um, our next deal is to do that. And, uh, well, at that point, it just inside the tank, but I can see in my tanks and things seem to be good. Yes, it does return. Actually, the tank that doesn't overflow Passenger side actually gets more return. You can see it's a strong return there and not near as strong on the driver's side, but yet yeah, that's the one that overflowed. So anyway, all right. Well, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't under, uh, that I wasn't, I understood this system. So that's the deal. We'll replace those lines, go from there and hope you don't hear from me again. Yeah, I you appreciate it. Oh, just to be on the safe side. Oh, and uh, I've got two friends that went on Amazon and bought the, they think it's called the Scorpion 2 smoke machine, and it's it's dirt cheap. I mean, it's under, I think it's under 100 bucks. Um, and they've been using it, and it produces enough smoke for them. So, um once again, I don't know how many machines, the smoke machines are on the internet, but I, they told me they thought it was called smoke too. So somebody get on there, Google, and uh, it, it, it's really cheap. So give that a try. All right. Okay. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Hey, hey, Pete, you know, this is one of mm -hmm. those issues. A couple others come to mind, cruise control issues, fan on-off issues. It's just one of those things that there are multiple things that can cause this, and there aren't a lot of easy ones to eliminate. You just have to pick some place and start. Um, it, it's usually you figure these out by trial and error, usually. Right, exactly. And again, with the fuel lines of the age that the truck is, no yes. harm, no foul. Exactly. If you replace them and fix them anyhow. Generally, we'll see this issue. I was expecting him to say he has a um, air dog or a fast system. Not that those cause the problem; they just magnify it because right. of the amount of fuel they return. Yeah, yeah. You We've know, had trucks that, that everything was correct. You know, there was we would check for the fuel restriction. We would measure the fuel return, and one side would fuel up, but we just put a, a quarter turn valve on there, a ball valve. And slowly shut it off till they're equal. Yeah. It kind of sounds like a band-aid, but it works. It, it works, yeah. A lot of times you end up fixing this problem and not even knowing what did it. You know, you're working on multiple things, you're changing lines, you're, and all of a sudden the problem just goes away, but you're not exactly sure what fixed it. Yep, we've seen that. All right, let's, uh, let's head off to Virginia this time. Tony, welcome to the program. Let me try that again. Tony. 
Guys at Pittsburgh. There you go. Hey, how you doing? Good. All right. Yeah, I got the beef afterwards. Uh, yeah, oil analysis. I have a, a couple of questions. Uh, I had some work done at my shop here in Virginia. Uh, I go to Pittsburgh Power, obviously, as much as I can. Uh, but I was talking to them about the OPS, which they know nothing about. And I'm trying to find my notes here. They understand oil analysis. Okay. Uh, and they understand the importance of doing the engine oil. However, I, I, I was to the understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong and misunderstanding, that uh, it's to, to do the engine oil, transmission, and differentials. Um, They're saying that they don't they don't see any benefit to the uh, tr- the transmission and differentials because you're obviously going to get metal. Engine oil, you're going to have possible fuel dilution, coolant. There's so many different contaminants in the engine oil, but they didn't they, see any benefit to the other three components. They are not incorrect here. I wouldn't say there's no benefit. There are times when we recommend doing transmission and differentials. And I may even throw it out there and say, do it at 250,000 miles. One time, you know, we're going to change it at 500,000. Do one sample halfway through and, and we might catch something. But you know what? If you don't do a sample, it's probably not going to hurt. I mean, how often, honestly, how often do we see failures of transmissions or differentials that was caused just by oil condition. Almost never. Okay. Uh, it, really, I mean, we, Pete, do we, we just don't see these components fail all that often. And when they do, an oil sample probably wouldn't have helped us anyway. Right. right. Yeah, you don't see so, too many failures. And the oil sample would be basically a peace of mind. It, yeah. Like I'm going to spend the, the 30 sample. Right. And hey, the transmission's good. I don't have to worry about the transmission anymore. Um, or, hey, there is some wear metals. It does seem a little noisy. Maybe I need to set aside some money for a transmission at some point. Yeah. So, uh, uh, again, not as critical right. as the engine or oil analysis, but still somewhat important, I think. Yeah. So, Tony, I, I agree with right. them. I, I think they, they've got the right approach to this. We've never really recommended ever testing those at regular intervals. About the only time we talk about testing them is when there's a problem. Okay. Well, I had a shop in uh, uh, North Carolina at yours and Bruce's. I, I was using yours and Bruce's uh, uh, recommendations on changing to 264 gears when the transmission needs to come out. Yeah. And the guy that rebuilt it, I, I just got screwed all the way around on that. So I'm feeling like there might be some metal going into the transmission so i'm getting ready to have that drained but you just answered my question on that and i do appreciate you guys you're welcome thanks for the call let's go to texas paul welcome to the program oh howdy what's on Um, your mind today my the guy with the overflowing fuel tanks um my old Peterbilt, which was Caterpillar Power 2001, 379, it had two taps on the top of each tank, and it had a big tank and a small tank because one section was hydraulic. Well, when I first got it, you know, 
it would suck way more fuel out of the small tank. Well, because it was smaller. Well, then I made it. I just tweaked the return tap on the other tank so it pumped more to the smaller tank for the return fuel. But sometimes a 16th, instead of just turning it all the way off or all the way on, just a 16th of a turn. So you just slow the flow down a little bit. He just needs to, you know, adjust it one click at a time sort of thing. Because I got mine where they came down equal unless I really put my foot in it. I slowed the return flow to one tank and pushed more to the other tank, but it took right. a lot of time for me to work it out. But yeah, that, well, that's kind of what the, Pete was talking about with the ball yeah. valve. You know, it it does sound kind of like a hack, but sometimes that's the only thing that works, and it works just fine. I mean, we end up with the with the result yeah. we're looking for. Yeah, because you know, fuel's not cheap. You don't want to be just spilling it for the hell of it. So the of course, the EPA might find them and send them a bill for a road cleanup. Wait, what do you well, mean so. fuel's not cheap? I see it dropped another seven cents. It's down in the low four dollar gallon range. That's cheap, cheap, cheap. Who cares? Spill it. Yeah, it's, it's highly irrelevant. These <laughs> That's days, right. Nobody even pays people, attention to but, it anymore. Yeah. So one other one other thing, I, I didn't read the article, but. And I'm not sure when the Brisbane truck was, but it popped up on Facebook. I meant to go back and read it, but then I couldn't find it. But it said, uh, Brisbane truck show 23, 2023, Cummins were going to make a big announcement. But I didn't see anything more about it. But I don't I don't know. It said something about that X-15, but I didn't, huh. I didn't read it at the time. And then I, did, I don't know if, if they've had that truck show or whether it's, Later in the year, I'm not sure. So, yeah, I'm not sure either. I'll have to take a look and see what they got going on. Yeah, because it had BTS 2023 Cummins, which is Brisbane Truck Show yeah. down under. So, huh? I'll, right. Maybe I'll Google it later, see what I can find. So, All right. I'll carry on. Thank you much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Um, we're coming up on the top of the hour here. We are out of questions. This almost never happens on the hour hour. So. We'll hang out here for a minute or two. And uh, if you want to jump in, it is a maintenance free for all. 855 950 3835. Anybody have anything we want to discuss while we're waiting for some calls? Yeah, so I Googled the smoke machines, and there is some inexpensive ones <gasps> online. Say it ain't so, Pete. But I, again, I don't know how well they're going to work. You know, when, is, and the method used, we've used for years you know, when I worked in a shop, we didn't have a smoke machine. Uh, we didn't know about them. And, and you, you know, you could test fine. Now, where the smoke machine would shine would be like your application or your coach. Yeah. You know, you, know you had a leak, but yeah. you couldn't find it until you saw the smoke. Right. Um, the Acer, even in a truck application, uh, because of the compound turbos, it's nice to see the smoke coming out of an area. And like, okay, I know I have a leak here. I got to, you know, dig into it deeper. Although I, I would but, have know, to say that, that if I would have seen smoke coming out down where those two turbos are, I may have just lit the thing on fire because I can't imagine trying to change <laughs> anything down inside there. I don't know how you would do it, seriously. 
but yeah, it, yeah even on a truck it's not, not yeah. much clearance yeah there's there's not much room in there to mess around all right we've we've got some calls coming in i figured we would um Pete, if we look at those smoke machines online, if we look through the specs somewhere, is there some sort of measurement on volume or pressure or some spec we could look at and maybe start testing and know that you've got to get to this number before they're going to be effective or not? How many 20-year-old vapors does it sell? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How much we, vape? Well, you know... When they built engines, they, you know, they equated it to horsepower. So we're going to equate our smoke machines to a 20-year-old vape power. Yeah, like how many Civic Boys right. does it take? There you you go. Super yeah. <laughs> Civic Boys, did you really say that? Yeah, that's what they call them. I don't know. Why don't we buy one of those smoke machines? Try it out. Well, that's you. That's something you should do. You should. Yeah, Pete, buy it. If there's any type of um, CFMs right. or pressure or anything that's in them, if yeah. you pay eighty bucks for it, they don't give you a spec. It's eighty bucks, <laughs> yeah. and it's in Chinese. Yeah, information <laughs> be different. Yeah, yeah. They're in, in how many viruses are in there? Oh, come on now. Yeah. That was a low blow. <laughs> oh, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to South Carolina. Yeah, <laughs> Lewis, welcome to the program. Hey, what's up, bud? Love your show. Been listening forever. Thanks. What can we help hey, you um, today? Quick question. Um, I probably got a million questions, but I can't remember any of them except for this one. Um, I got a seventeen glider, the uh, five seventy nine with a Detroit. Um, I like to do, I'm getting 7.9 uh, miles a gallon right now Good for the last couple of weeks because it's been light loads and I'm not rushing anywhere. But um, normally I like to do 70. I do the best I can to do 62, 65, like you say, and it does help big time. But when I'm doing 70 and I'm at 1500 RPM, 13 speed, uh, manual, whatever, uh, 13 speed, and I can't remember the gears, but they were probably like 355s or something. But um, on normal, I'm at 1,500 if I'm doing 70, 72. Is, is that okay for this engine? Well, it's not going to hurt anything. And up a hill, I'll not, push it to 70. It's, right. it's not the most efficient range to operate it. It's not going to hurt anything. The engine will last nice. just as long. There won't be any issues. Now... No, this is a glider, right? So this is a pre-emission. So we don't even have emissions to worry about. It, when you run the emission engines in too high of an RPM range, you lower the heat, and then we do start to see emission problems. So there are times when we talk about that. In this engine, you're not yep. really going to see any problems per se, but you're just not operating in the most efficient range. Yeah, yeah. I, yep, I was aware of that part. All right, awesome, awesome. Hey, uh, I almost hate to say this because uh, I know people listen, but I, I hear you brag about the guy that made uh, half a million and what he took clean, and it was awesome. Uh, mine, there's a couple of numbers that are different, but uh, the last two years, I, I pulled some, um, I guess I can say, hydrogen. Okay. Uh, power onlys. 
grossed is the numbers are different, but get the end. Uh, two eighty both years on thirty five thousand miles, wow. and probably eight nine months of work. Wow. Yep. That's and incredible. It, and it's a glider. My truck. Be- That's incredible. My truck before nice. this was a glider. Yeah. The one before that had the N14. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Repairs. I, I know you love doing your numbers, but uh, sometimes you got a truck where there are no numbers. <laughs> well, you know, it, I mean? you know, your numbers are so odd. We can't compare them to anybody else. It's just, you know, it's, it's an anomaly, yeah. but it's fantastic. You know, that's, that's what I talk about when I talk about owner operators not competing with big carriers. Go do stuff they can't do. They can't buy gliders to avoid, yep. you know, some of the new problems we're seeing. They can't really capture this kind of freight because it's a little too specialized. That that's where the owner operator can shine if they understand it. Yep. And for the the new guys, unless they bought for me, you know, unless they bought a very expensive new truck. You got to take the goods with the bads because I've been doing this 30 years and I never had two years like that. Right. I did, luckily, right. I didn't take no, no PPP. You know, I didn't take no PPP. I, I didn't want to be home. I don't yeah. even like, I've never gotten paid to be home. I've never had a job like that. I've never been yeah. paid to be home. So I, I, I just work. Yeah, uh, man, excellent. It, it, it was pretty insane. Excellent. Congratulations. It ain't going to be that way. No, it, it's... Uh... I think the party's over, but congratulations. You certainly uh, maximized the opportunity. Let's go to Texas. Ricky, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Um, I've got three questions, actually. Uh, The first one, I'll talk about my def system on my truck. It's a 2014 C680 MX-13 Packard. Bought this truck 2018. 434,000 miles. I'm currently at 1,2263 miles. In the whole time, I've only had one part uh, full region myself. I've had the desk system, the knock sensors, and the, um, the other sensor that Leroy talks about. Uh, Delta P sensor has been replaced. I've had a pipe replaced, and I had an uh, O-ring on the where the pipe connects into, I guess what you'd say, that the filter box itself, the DEF filter, um, had it replaced once. I've never had the filter cleaned on this truck. I'm able to monitor the soot level, and it never reaches more than 40% but I can't get anyone to tell me what the ash level is. They say their diagnostic equipment will not read it. Will yours, through your remote tuners, can you do that? I believe so. I don't hook up to too many uh, EPA 13 MX engines, but I believe that it will on a remote laptop. If not, I know the one in our shop does. Um, but I, I would imagine any sort of dealer should be able to tell you that. I mean, if not, you have, would you say one point some million miles on that filter without being clean? Yeah, I got one, yeah, one million, two thousand, two hundred sixty-three thousand. Um, I, I people tell me that's amazing to hear. <laughs> 
it, it really is. And I would have to assume that um, the filter probably has a significant amount of ash in it and should probably be cleaned without looking at yes. it. I mean, ash is just going to build up in there and a regen won't um, get rid of it. So I, I think right. if you wanted to wait and see if you can hook up to a remote dealer, I can do that for you. We can do it pretty quick. Uh, you'll probably be in and out of there in less than 20 minutes. Um, I, we could check it first. If not, you could keep going with it. You could get it cleaned. I would probably clean it if it were me, but you know, some people like to. Well, I'm going to, I, I'm scheduling to have this done next month. Um, I'm going to use one of your TPF alternatives in Fort Worth, Texas, Mm -hmm. and, uh, get it cleaned out. But I'm just curious because everybody tells me either I'm lying or, uh, this is just amazing, but I hate Bruce isn't on the call today because I'm going to give him. I think the reason why this has happened ever since I bought my first gallon of, uh, from you guys back in the late part of 2019, um, I've run it. And what I do is I run it every other fuel tank and it, and it's been like that ever since. And I believe uh, it's not, I don't believe I know for a fact the catalyst has made this happen. It's definitely going to make a difference. We're going to reduce soot, which of course is going to reduce ash. So it, it's you know it's doing what exactly what it's supposed to do, which yeah. is keep everything safe. The other question I have, um, the other question I have is is overheads. When I have my overhead done at a dealer, I try to stay exclusive with like the Kenworth or Rust Truck Centers with the Peterbilt because they. They know Packard, but I cannot get these guys to, to check the torque on the injector caps. They won't touch it for whatever reason. They'll do the overhead, but when I ask, I say, well, charge me extra. No, we don't touch that unless there's a need to go into the injector. But why is that? Is there some liability? Because they won't tell, they won't be forthcoming on that. Yeah, that's pretty strange. I've never heard. Anybody do that? No idea. Maybe, we just don't see many pack cars to know much about them. Maybe they've had a bad experience and they don't want to ever touch it again. Sometimes that happens at shops where something goes horribly wrong and then they won't do that ever again. Yeah, and that's, that's the only bad part about having a pack car in your truck. I like the motor. I've done well with it where other people have said they haven't. But it's just the, the availability of having other shops outside of the, the Packard dealer network to, you know, have those, those kind of things done. And, and that's frustrating. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last thing I'd like to, to comment or ask you a question on, actually, clean air filter. I've been seeing, I can't remember the part number, but there is a... Um, part number for this truck, but I can't really get a good detailed picture of it. It just shows an open picture, and I've been on your website. I've been on Fleet Air Filters website. I want to make sure it's the right filter. If it's got the bot, if it's like a big brick, is basically what this filter is. And I can't believe this thing filters the engine. And I know it's not doing it like a Fleet Air filter would. 
Um, is there any way I could get extra pictures of that filter from someone? I mean, have you looked at our website? Is it on our website? Yeah, but you have a generic picture that plain air filter provides. Same picture we got from um, Fleet Air. I'm can we guessing. reach out to what's his name, David? And David. Yeah. See if you can't get some more photos. We can do that. Or if we have one here, do you know the part number that you need? Yeah, I, I don't remember here. it, and and I'll have to go if through my notes and call. Call later after the show with the part number or email it to me. And I can see if I have it in stock. If I do, I'll take a couple of pictures and send it to you. That'd be quick and easy. Okay. I appreciate that. My email is simple. Kevin? Yes. Uh, go ahead. I'm, okay. Um, yeah, I'll send, I'll send you um, a link for that and ask for it. And I'll get that from you, Pete. Thank you so much, uh, you and Leroy. Um, Kevin? Yes. Quick question for you. Tomorrow on Destination Health. I have a health concern that I'm not going to be able to go to the Louisville truck show this year. Um, are you going to be talking anything about gastric um, stuff in, in tomorrow on your show? Uh, tomorrow, I don't have a theme myself. We've got uh, Autumn Smith coming back to join us from Paleo Valley. So, and we don't, we're just going to wing it. I mean, we don't really have any theme. So, no, not specifically. All right. I'm going to call in tomorrow. I want to run something by you. I, I do have a, a potential major situation going on. Okay. Yeah, and, we can um, do that. I, we talked, yeah, we talked years ago back when I had my gastric surgery in 2014 and I had the gastric sleeve and we talked several times past that, kind of giving you updates and all that, but I've had a major situation come about and okay. um, I'd like to share it with you and, and, and the listeners. Yeah, let's do that tomorrow then. All righty. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate you being here. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. You're welcome. All right. Um, calls are kind of intermittent today, so uh, we're just going to wrap it up. I, I'm kind of coasting a little bit this week. I'm still needing a vacation, but uh, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. But I'm going to at least back off of a lot of work and projects just a little bit for now. So um, we're just going to wrap this up today. Uh, we will see you back here tomorrow. Like I said, uh, Autumn Smith will be joining us. Um, no theme. We're just going to catch up. We haven't talked to Autumn in quite a while and see what's new and exciting in her world. So we will see you then. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. We'll do it again next week. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.